Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN. That's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Thursday, December the 8th, 2011. And today we're going to talk about greenhouses. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff about greenhouses. Because I've just decided it's time to talk about a greenhouse. And I have a new greenhouse. I'm not done with it yet because I want to paint it. I want to paint it before I video it for you guys and all. And every time I get time to paint, it rains or snows. And you can't really paint in the rain. And uh, I guess I could paint the inside, but I want to get the whole thing done in one shot. And uh, so I've got that going on. And I also thought, you know, when I came out today to walk the dog and I could see my breath and my window was all iced up, so I started the truck early to defrost. This is winter. This is when people like go, oh, man, it's winter. I don't have to even think about this other stuff now. Maybe I'll look at a seed catalog. That's about it. No, 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 man. This is time to, like, you can do some of the coolest things right now for almost no money or for free. Uh, you really can. I'm going to tell you how to do that today. I'm going to tell you from the little to the big, from the micro to the to the mega greenhouses is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, before we do, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you by helping make sure the show's here for you five days a week, Monday through Friday. Sponsor of the day number one today, BulkAmmo.com, source of the other precious metal, copper jacketed lead. You know your guns, the stuff you have in your gun locker or your safe or hidden under your bed or wherever you keep your guns? Take a look at one right now if you happen to be at home. If not, just remember what they look like. Imagine it in your mind. Imagine it with no ammunition. It is a very expensive club. You could use a baseball bat to do the same thing without ammunition. You need ammo. And where do you get your ammo? BulkAmmo.com. Because when it comes to common calibers, great prices, and lightning-fast shipping with awesome, awesome, awesome service, BulkAmmo.com, it's just the place you want to go, man. It is the place. So check out BulkAmmo.com today. Next up today, MERSRadio.com. It's actually M-U-R-S with a hyphen, a dash, whatever you want to call it. And then the word Radio.com. Uh, that's Rob Belleville. And I'll tell you what, Rob is awesome because if you go to his site, you're going to be like, well, he only sells like 14 or 15 things. You know what that means? He knows every single product dead cold. And if you are trying to do something, if you, you know, before you buy is the time to ask these questions, by the way, he'll either go, I'll tell you exactly what you need, here's how to set it up, and here's how much it's going to cost, or can't do that with my stuff, or can do most of that with my stuff, take this stuff, do this, and go get this other stuff here that I don't carry. Isn't that nice instead of, Yes, I will be helping you today. Isn't that much better customer service? Is that not what we're looking for? So what is MERS Radio? It is a great way to combine secondary communications on your property along with security through the use of motion detectors that send information back to handheld radios and base stations. It's awesome. To go see BulkAmmo.com and MERS Radio, the best thing to do, go to the survivalpodcast.com and look for their banners in the right-hand margin. That's the best thing to do for all of our sponsors. Remember, they are all personal endorsements by me. If I would spend my money with them, I wouldn't take money from them to endorse them for you. And they also have to go through my listener ad council on the forum. We haven't had to do that in a while. We haven't had to do that in a while. Do you know why? 
Because all of the sponsors we have, they stick with us for years. Because you guys are awesome, and we make sure they're awesome. And that is an awesome combination. Just want to throw a little extra into the sponsorship stuff today. All right, next up, remember, you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I think I'll be shooting some video this weekend. I've got to try to figure out whether it's going to work or not this weekend. got to talk to my video guy. I've got to get that greenhouse painted, and I don't think that's going to make a great video. But we'll see. Maybe we can get him over for like just an hour, knock a couple things out real quick, send him on his way with the editing, and uh, get back to painting that greenhouse, man, because that's got to get done. You'll hear why in just a minute. When I talk about that. Next up, um, remember I am running a sale on the Member Support Brigade this month. Now, look, it's over $150 worth of free ebooks in the MSB. Those are yours. Day one, you join, even if you just cancel right away, right? You get all of the ebooks. You download them, they're yours immediately. You have them all. Then there's discounts. Hopefully, you stick around for those, right? To 32 vendors right now. 32 people that sell the type of stuff that you're interested in have discounts that are exclusive to you. You can bet I'll be adding more. It was 20, 21, 22 in January last year. Now it's 32. I take my time. I find good ones, but I bring them in, and I get you great discounts. You support the show at 20 cents an episode. That's the big thing. You're supporting the show that you listen to every day. Now, this time you can get it for 30 bucks. That works out to like 12 cents an episode for your first year. And you'd use the discount code SNOW. Remember, though, if you're a military law enforcement or Peace Corps active due to your prior service, I have a special discount program for you that's not just for your first year to prize to re recurring billing, and it's not just for the annual membership. You can use it with a monthly or a, a six-month or a three-month or what have you. Anyway, that wraps it up today. Let's go ahead and get into talking about greenhouses today. And I know some of you maybe went, I don't know if I'm going to listen to this, this episode. I am not big on this gardening stuff. And I, you know, come on. Well, you know, we'll talk about supplemental heating with greenhouses today. We kind of did that yesterday with Stephen Harris. Uh, some of you might be like, all I got is a patio with a little bitty spot sticking out to the sun and some pots. And we'll talk about how to make a little mini greenhouse today. But here's the big thing, and before I even get into the topic today, I want you to understand, it, I know I've said it before, but I have to keep saying it because we get new listeners, and I think people get stubborn about things they don't want to accept. And it's important that we get this message out. The nation and the world are in the middle of crises. They are. There is no way around that. Some people think it's because of global warming. I think, I think global warming has nothing to do with it, but I think that we can all look and see crisis coming. We have a modern agricultural system that is on its way to the edge of a cliff. You cannot continue to devalue and destroy soil forever and still get a yield out of it. It cannot be done, and the quality of the food is in decline along with the quality of the land. It only makes sense that the lower the quality of the land, the lower the quality of the food grown on it. Now, here's the thing. We know everything to do to fix this. We know everything to do to fix this. I had a two-hour-long, grueling interview with Paul Wheaton for his podcast yesterday. It wasn't up yet today. When it gets up, I'll, I'll let you guys know. But we talked about lessons from the forest, and we talked about how wrong, at the end, modern agriculture is. If you want to know more, you can go listen to that when that one's available. Just understand that there's, there's a problem there. There's a problem with our water. And that is not about water quality so much as about water availability, not to your faucet, Not to your faucet. I'm not telling you the water's going to So I'm not going alarmist globalist nonsense here. But water at the level sufficient for modern agricultural irrigation. We have aquifers being depleted. We have towns that have grown food and grown commodities for decades, drying up and blowing away in West Texas as the aquifer from the Ogallala aquifer recedes. And it's happening in other places. 
We have to eat. I will guarantee you people that say, oh, this is what we'll cause. I don't want to talk about guns. Well, how many times have you used a gun to defend yourself? And if you were in the military as a soldier and you did it a lot back then since you got out, how many times? And the reality is for most people, the total number of times you will use a gun to protect yourself or your family will be zero. You carry one anyway because it only takes one, right? But we live in a society where there are a lot of people with guns and that does have a suppressive effect on criminal activity. Criminals are afraid to break in your house because they know even if you're an old lady, they may be looking at two ends of a double barrel shotgun or two, two barrels of a double barrel shotgun from the wrong end. Right? So I am hugely, hugely for that. I think it needs to be part. I almost did a show on guns today and I decided not to. But here's the reality. You got up today and you probably ate something. Sometime in the middle of the day, you're going to eat something. Before you go to bed tonight, you're going to have dinner and maybe a snack. And you're going to do that. And you're going to look at your preps. And you're going to realize how much of your preps is food. So we have to be able to feed ourselves. So all of these topics around gardening and agriculture and permaculture, we need to take them seriously. They are as much a survival topic as anything else we could possibly, possibly talk about. Because food... If food goes into a shortage, you will see riots. And anywhere food has ever gone into a shortage or simply risen above the capacity of people to purchase it due to shortage and expense relationship, there has always been riots. So if you want something that can send a civilized society into moral decay and to people burning down other people's buildings and causing all the stuff you're worried about happening in the end of the world scenarios, it's food. That's why this stuff's important. Sorry for the soliloquy there on that, but we, I want people to take these topics seriously. I want you to understand why I get so excited about something like a stupid greenhouse. Because it's part of the solution. The more food we can grow in our own backyards, in our own neighborhoods, in our own cities, in our own towns, through more and longer periods of time throughout the year, with the more success we can have, the more pressure we take off a strained system. And the more we put ourselves into a mode where we can transition to something that actually makes sense, the more of us that prove it works, the more people notice it works and start going, hey, don't tell me it doesn't work. He did it. Right? The revolution is you, buddy. And sometimes the revolution starts with the greenhouse. So to me, what I want to start out with is looking at what is the real value of a greenhouse year-round? Is it just for the wintertime? And the answer is no. And what are some of the functions of a greenhouse? Well, uh, if, we, if we build a greenhouse as a permanent physical structure attached to our home, it can actually help heat our home in the winter. And I think most people understand that. But if we do just a few clever things, that greenhouse can also kind of actually help us cool our house. In the summer. Now, there's some kind of cool, interesting thermal things that can be done that, with heat rising and, and draw that are too complicated to explain in audio, but let's look at it a totally different way. In a perfect world, we would attach the greenhouse to the, the southern exposed side of our home where the sun's going to be very low in the winter and hit that thing all daggone day long. And then the sun's going to be way up overhead in the uh, in the summer when we want it actually to be cooler. Now, if we fill that greenhouse, even in the summer, with all kinds of plants and stuff like that, especially canopy-level stuff that goes up, and maybe we even plant like on the outside of it so we have things trellising on the top of it that are deciduous that will fall away in the winter when we need the warmth, we actually use the plants and their transpiration to create a very cool uh, area. And that cool area has a cooling effect on the entire property. And it becomes a heat trap, even though it's cooler than you would expect. Because the heat gets there and stops instead of permeates into the home. 
This is just taking the pergoda effect and magnifying it is all we're doing here. You can have a pergoda out over there instead of a greenhouse. And we could build the greenhouse to become an open pergoda. We could do that very, very simply, very, very easily. Honestly, we could do that through paneling. So we could put our glass or our greenhouse material into panels that are designed to go and bolt into a system. Or we could screen the whole thing and still have the glass panels that go in so we could keep insects out. So we could get very, very creative with the ways that we not only use a greenhouse for growing things, but for modifying the temperature of our home. So I wanted to talk to you about that. That's one big function I think gets overlooked. Going to the screening, if we if we construct our own greenhouses, let's say from wood framing and, and uh, salvaged glass, if we were to do something like go to a Habitat for Humanity store and get a lot of windows uh, that actually open and close like storm windows, uh, we could make a lot of screening there. And we could pretty much open that sucker full tilt so there's air coming from all sides of it. If we construct a greenhouse with that in mind from the beginning... And almost turned it into a screenhouse, even though there's still a lot of glass there and with a little shade netting. Now we have a very good place to grow stuff even in the summer, and we're going to have a lot less pest activity. We're going to have some pest activity in a greenhouse. Stuff's going to get in there, but nowhere near to the level that it does when it's sitting out in a field. So maybe it's the place we can grow that one or two things that we just can't do in the summer that should do so well, but squash vine bores. Right? So... Just And that's just one example. Of course, in the winter, there's crops we can put in there, like lettuce and kale and spinach and stuff like that. The, almost no matter where you live, it will survive the nights, and you will have fresh greens to add to your salads and to your meals throughout the winter. To me, that when we talked about burnout earlier this week, that's a huge thing. When you're able to put fresh vegetables into your diet, it has a very lifting effect. And you feel like you're actually accomplishing something. It gives you something to do. To just, you know, in those dark days where you get home and it's still dark outside, when you, you get up, it's dark, you go to work, you come home, it's dark. Well, you know, being able to walk out to the greenhouse and cut a few leaves and bring that in and eat it, believe me, there's a psychological effect there. And in that winter period, especially as we go into late winter, very early spring, now we have a huge cost saving. Have you, have you gone to a nursery lately and looked at the cost of plants for your garden? Now, I do advise you, if you're putting your first garden in ever, it makes a lot of sense to buy at least some of your plants because they're started well, they're, they're set, you're going to have more success, and that's going to get you hooked. But once you've kind of got a system going on, being able to start those plants, really cool. So... Now we can also look at things like we can use greenhouse for co-housing with livestock. We can put chickens in there. That makes everything better, but it gives them additional shelter. We have to think about how we do that. We can use a greenhouse to contain an aquaponics system. That gives us a, a, a tremendous advantage because now we're producing protein and vegetables. And for someone in an urban setting, that might be the only way to effectively do that because maybe you can put a nice-looking greenhouse in your backyard and nobody will bitch, but maybe if you put a few chickens back there, people will bitch and somebody from your city will show up and say you can't have chickens. But odds are no one's going to get upset over a fish. So now I have a protein source. I also have a huge amount of water in there, 300 gallons maybe or more, depending on what kind of system I've put in. That water becomes a heat trap. So now I have better uh, resiliency going forward in, in, in the winter. So all of these things need to be taken into account and realize that the greenhouse isn't just a place that I grow some stuff in January. It's a year-round thing. It's, it's a long-term investment when done right. 
And it doesn't have to be big or expensive. I want to talk about micro greenhouses. I've mentioned this a few times, but if you haven't seen it yet, you should get by the videos I did. And I'll put them up for you today where all I did was use a fish tank. I used a fish tank as a mini greenhouse over some lettuce. And I had two patches of lettuce. And I had two fish tanks. And I sacrificed my lettuce for your good. Right, so that you could learn something. Instead, I was gonna, I would put the one over, and I looked at the other one. I was gonna put, and I went, no, I'm not gonna do it. You know what I'm gonna do? I am gonna leave that lettuce out in the open, frigid air in Texas. And that year, it got cold. That was the year the Super Bowl was down there, and they had all the ice, and they were afraid it wasn't gonna happen. Like seven degrees, the ground was iced. This town was shut down for like four or five days from an ice storm. All the lettuce lived. You get that? Even the stuff without the greenhouse lived. But when you looked at the growth. And the first, at first, you see a little bit of ex extra growth, but then like four weeks go by, and I'm cutting the lettuce that's in the green, the mini greenhouse. I'm cutting like three or four leaves off of each plant every day, every single day, and making a salad for for the winter uh, with the stuff out of the backyard and stuff from the store as well. And after three or four weeks, the the one that I've been cutting is like. Four or five times higher and more robust than the one sitting in the exact same soil with the exact same sunlight. The only difference was the fish tank. So we can do mini greenhouses and do a lot of cool stuff. And I think we need to think about how a lot of us that have those, you know, the little four by four or four by eight raised bed, that one little garden that you, you tend every year. And then, you know, winter comes and you're sad and there's nothing you can do about it. And it just gets too cold and you just kind of put the garden to bed. You know, you throw a bunch of mulch on top of it and you just watch the snow cover it or the ice cover it. And you figure you're done for the year. Look. How is this for inexpensive? You, you, you take your happy little butt down to like Home Depot or Lowe's if you don't have scrap lumber laying around. You build a frame, nothing but a box that's four foot six by four foot six by about four foot six high for a four by four uh, garden, right? It's just one by threes or something like that. You can do it with two by fours; it'll be heavier, less likely to blow away. And two by fours are cheap. You can use cheap white wood for this. You don't need to. You, know, you probably don't want to use pressure treated. So you're looking at like two dollars. A board for your for your two by fours to build a structure like that. So you're looking at maybe twelve bucks, right? So we build this box, and then we go get this poly stuff, right? That poly film stuff that the painters use, so it doesn't get on the floor. Guess what? That's instant greenhouse. And all we do is put it over that box, and we staple it, right? And then we just lift it up and put it over top of our bed after we plant it, and we've got da -da 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 -da, mini greenhouse. Done. How long would it take to do something like that? How long would it extend your growing season? Guess what? It's going to be really, really warm today. What do you do? Well, you go outside, you and your friend, your partner, your kid, whatever, and you pick it up, you lift it straight up over the plants, you walk about four feet, and you set it down on the ground. That's as easy as, it's, as it can possibly get for you. Uh, if you just want to let air flow in, you get yourself a few bricks. You put maybe two on each side, and you go out and you lift up, and you put a brick under each side, and then you create some airflow on days that are warm but not warm enough to fully remove it. You can get sophisticated as you like. We could put, and I was going to save this for later, but there's a thing called a tarp zipper. And uh, they, those can be used if you build your own hoop house to create a door. I'll talk about that more in a bit. But there's no reason, no reason at all, that that zipper couldn't be installed across the top of a small one like this, where basically you could unzip the top, pull it back, and open it up on days where you don't want the thing baking your plants because it's going to get too hot. 
I mean, this stuff can be really, really simple. And if you build it out of a substantial frame, something like, like 1 by 3 is probably substantial enough, it's not going to blow away on you. right? The weight of the structure itself will hold it in place. And if you standardize your raised beds, well, you can build one or two of these things, and whatever bed you decide to use that year is your winter bed. Maybe you do some rotation here. Maybe you cover crop the crap out of this bed this year, bed two, so it doesn't need a greenhouse because it's sitting there with you know, things that can handle the cold that, that are designed to cover crop through until spring. And then the bed you're going to grow from, that's where you put your thing. And next year, you switch it around. And since the structure, and if you could, look, here, you want me to make this easy for you, you want me to take away all your excuses. What do I do with it in the, uh, in the summertime when it's bulky and in the way? Instead of nailing the frame together, drill holes in the frame, go buy some bolts, right? The plastic is cheap. You can buy a huge roll of it at Walmart for about $5, right? Take your structure, build it with bolts, Wing nuts, maybe something easy to do even by hand. You don't need a, you don't even need uh, what, what I'm looking for, like any kind of real tools to do it. Once you have it built, at the end of the the winter, when you're done with it, take the plastic off, throw it away. Right? It's cheap plastic. It's good for one season anyway. You're not going to buy high quality stuff to do this. Take all your bolts apart, put them in a Ziploc bag. Right? Take all your wood. It's all basically the same length. Put it all together. Tie it up with something and tie your bag of bolts to it, and then it's going to fit in an area It's like a little bundle of wood. Stick it in your shed until next year. Now, you can take it back out and reassemble it in about 10 minutes. Then you staple your plastic on it. It's ready to go for another season. How cool is that? How simple is that? And for many of you, it's better than a big greenhouse. If you just want to grow some greens and stuff like that, and look, we can take that. And we can take it to an area of our yard later on uh, when maybe the plants don't even need it anymore in the garden bed. And we're trying to start our plants, and it can become a mini seed starting greenhouse. We want some shade, some dappling shade for that. We can find a tree with a little bit of overstory in the spring. It's just starting to put its buds on, and we can set it back in there. We can start our seeds with it. Then we can disassemble it, throw away the plastic, and put it away in the next year. Or we can keep doing that. We can throw some shade cloth over it and put it somewhere, and we can use it by taking the plastic off and replacing the plastic with hardware cloth, maybe shaded hardware cloth, you know, the dark shaded hardware cloth, and it becomes a little screen house, and maybe it goes right back to a different bed, and maybe we grow something now in the summer that normally can't handle our climate in the summer because we're giving it shade in a controlled environment. It's so amazingly flexible I don't know why I don't do it myself other than I have the space that I do and I have a 10 by 20 hoop house now. But for the urbanite, it may be one of the most effective season-extending systems that could ever be built. Um, I, I, I was going to talk a little bit about cold frames today, but I, I don't think I'm really going to say much about them. A cold frame is generally uh, just a, almost like what I just said, but it's, it's more of a hard structure, and it's a lot of times used for starting seeds and hardening seeds off. Uh, the best ones I've ever seen are built into the ground. So... A great way to do this, I'll, I'll give you a great little project if you want one for a cold frame. You dig yourself a pit about a foot deep and box the pit with something like 2x12, right? So 2x12, and you can make this any dimension you want. But a great thing to do would be go down to like a Habitat store or something like that where you can get recycled glass cheap and find yourself a great big door, right? Something you'll be able to hinge one side of onto that box, 
and put that somewhere with some type of an overhang, like a big limb of a tree, or maybe you can construct a frame or something like Something's going to be able to stand up to the weight of that door. Dig your hole, build your box frame, stick it in, backfill around your frame. So it's like a raised bed, but it's a, it's a bed in the ground. You got your door or your glass, whatever thing you've purchased, hinged on there. And you need a pulley system above that, that support. And you're able now to raise and lower the lid. So on days when it's going to be warm out, you go out there and raise that lid. And you can raise it a little bit or raise it a lot, depending on the situation. You've got the ground is a thermal sink. And it's a great way to start your seeds, and you don't have to put in a full-size greenhouse. So it's, it is probably one of the best, if not the best, things you could put in if you're not going to have a greenhouse. We can also go to another level. Let's say we take that down about 18 inches, so we give ourselves a good uh, 6 inches extra, maybe even 8 inches. We can come up still have uh, 10 inches for our, our stuff to grow in there. And then we take some compost that's just getting started and we line the bottom of that and we turn it into basically a hot frame. The thermal, uh, gen thermal genesis from the, uh, the compost will help, uh, even in, in, in more harsh environments. But my grandfather used to start all his pepper and, to, and, uh, uh, tomato seeds in a cold frame in Pennsylvania and he would start them in February. He'd put them straight in there. He would, actually he would put the seeds into their little containers And he would put them uh, on the, this wooden thing over one of the radiators in the house. So they were very, very warm. And as soon as they sprouted, though, into the cold frame. And keep it closed down for most of the time. And ours was we had a big arbor with some huge uh, Concord grapevines on it. And that arbor had the pulley that does what I described. So cold frames, there you go. That's another one that you can do. And it's I, I tell you what, you're going to be much better off building something subterranean into the ground with a hinged roof. And you don't have to have a pulley system, right? It's just nice. You could just lift it up and have a prop. But if you have a place you can place it like that, because here's the thing, it's it's a glass surface that somebody can walk on. So if you think that way, so it, in this case it was under our grape arbor, nobody ever forgot and walked on it and fell through and cut themselves, right? So if you put it somewhere like in an open area like that, you've kind of got a, a hazard. And that's why I think people have gravitated more to these, you know, couple hundred dollar plexiglass ones that you can move around, that you can see, but they don't work as good because you don't have the ground as a thermal mass around there to suck that warmth up all day and release it back into that open space at night. Um, Choosing between, like, do I go with a mid-sized greenhouse or a large greenhouse, I will tell you that my belief is if we can take cost out of the equation, you'll never say, damn, I made this thing too big. You really won't. You'll, you'll fill up a greenhouse. I had a little greenhouse down in Texas and uh, made by Springhouse, and I think some people got the wrong idea. Um, it fell apart on me, and uh, it was damaged beyond repair, and that made me sad and unhappy. But the reality was, it wasn't a bad product. It was actually a really good product. It was put together with the same type of flexible poles that like a dome tent uses. The material was great. We got like a windstorm that ripped off some people's roofs, and that's what destroyed it. And it collapsed, and when it collapsed in the wind, and we had snow and wind in this storm, uh, it broke some of those poles. Those poles became sharp and went up and jabbed through. If I had to use that system again, there are some things I could put in place, like building some wood frame inside so if one of those poles failed or if it collapsed under some kind of stress, it would land down onto that wood framing, and that would prevent like catastrophic damage. So it's actually the Springhouse products are a good, uh, good kind of low-level product, uh, easy to install, easy to move, easy to change your mind about. 
Um, but I believe, but my point with that was I, I put it up and I don't remember what it was. I think it was six by eight or something. It was, no, it was bigger. Maybe it was eight by ten is what it was. And I remember standing in there going, man, there's a lot of room in here. I, I, this is going to do everything I need. I remember like, you know, three weeks later, like inching my feet to go in between things and the whole thing was full of stuff growing and all. And it was so cool and it sold me on the idea of a greenhouse forever after that. But I think that you should go as large as you can afford and make sense and won't get you in trouble with somebody in your neighborhood if you live in a place like that. My case, we got, I got a 10 by 20, uh, hoop house made with these huge steel, like, I mean, this thing's gonna be around longer than me. About the only thing that eventually would probably fail and it's the poly and that can just be replaced when that happens. Um, but I got that from Steve at Steve's greenhouses and, uh, it's designed for that, that steel to go into the ground a foot. But the area I had, we looked at, and it wasn't as level as we would have liked it to be. And what the contractor that helped me with the installation decided to do was put some 4x4s into the ground, uh, then go down into the 4x4s just a bit and put those braces into there, and that's all concreted into the ground. So I went from having a, a greenhouse that would be about, um, I guess, about 8 feet tall to a greenhouse that's about 9 feet tall. And I love the height. And I know there's some issues with the height because you have greater area for, for, to try to maintain your, your temperatures and you get really high temperatures up at the top in the daytime and really cold temperatures up there in the nighttime. Uh, but I learned some stuff from Stephen Harris yesterday about movable insulation and I'm going to work with Steve with some ideas on that to where we can maybe retrofit into his system. But, uh, the height is great. You get in there and you just feel like, man, I can, and with those big, um, with those great big beams, I've got real strong support where I can do a lot of things with vertical space as well. So I think you should go as large as you can. On, on some other sides, though, I do think kind of what I started out with. If you can build a greenhouse attached to your home, especially a south-facing side, or second best would be kind of southeast-facing, uh, and if you're in the other hemispheres, adjust accordingly. Um, I, I don't think you could do better. I think that there is so much there for you if you build it attached to your home. The heat gain alone, by reducing, especially in your northern climates where heating's a major expense, the heat gain alone will massively, massively, massively have a payback for you. So, Jack, why didn't you do it? Because my house is oriented completely screwed up to do it. The, the side of my house that would actually make sense to do it doesn't have a window. It's just a flat side, narrow side of the house, and it doesn't make any dadgone sense to do. Um, and it didn't make sense to do out front where we put the deck. We wanted that more of a, an open socializing space. Not that the greenhouse couldn't do that, but it just really wouldn't have worked well. It would have been worth the added expense because we wouldn't have gained much from the heat. Uh, heat's not that big a concern to begin with in my climate. It just didn't work. If I had the house to do over again, if I just had my piece of land and the house wasn't there, and they said, Jack, we're going to build your house. How do you want it built? How do you want it oriented? It would be done. It would happen. There would be an attached greenhouse. I think it's huge. And I think that the, the act of being able in a morning on a cold, miserable winter morning, but the sun's up and your greenhouse is already beginning to warm up and you get that cup of coffee or tea or whatever you do in the morning and to be able to walk out your front door into plant vivid green growth, the emotional lift alone will get rid of freaking Zoloft and all the other crap people are taking because they think they're depressed if everybody had one of those. 
And we could put a lot of life into that. It's close to the house, so obviously we have power. We could put little ponds in there. Uh, we can have frogs in the greenhouse in the wintertime. They'll be happy. They won't leave. You won't even have to keep them in there. Little tree frogs or whatever, they'll be running around and, and, and living in your greenhouse, helping to control the pests. And, I mean, think about it's cold. It's February. There's snow. Walk out your front door surrounded by green and the sound of frogs chirping. Do you think you're going to feel a little better about life? I do. Uh, so I think there's an emotional lift there. But then your food, this is the big thing. Ah, oh, we're going to, you know, last night, for instance, I, I got out of here a little later than I expected because Paul kept me on the interview for two hours and ten minutes or something like that. Um, but I was going to make stew. So I went home to make my stew and uh, it's cold as hell outside, you know, and, uh, Fine, I walked out and went out to the garden and chopped some fresh parsley and brought it in, chopped it up, and used that as part of making my stew. But it would have been really cool if I would have just walked out you know, into a greenhouse and picked four or five different herbs to go in that stew fresh instead of using the dried ones that I have put away for now. So I know once my greenhouse is up and running, I'll be able to walk up to it, but walking into it instead of up to it and making it part of your zone one, zone zero area in a permaculture system, just absolutely awesome. I also want to talk about kind of getting creative. I talked about this thing called a tarp zipper, and I'll put a link today to a forum post about this on our forum, and I'll put a link to a YouTube video where you can watch a guy use this. And basically, he builds his own hoop greenhouse over his garden just using poly, like we talked about for the portable thing, and PVC pipes bent over, and then you put this, you put the tarp over it, you put your poly over it, and then, well, how do you make a door? Well, you just take this thing and you cut where you want your door to get in, and it's just a big, it's like a big piece of tape, like one-sided tape with a zipper in the middle that'll open up, and you just stick it on, And then you zip it. And I think, I don't remember when I watched it if he did this or not, but personally, my thought would be the easy way to do this wouldn't be cut it and then put the zipper on. It would be get everything exactly the way you want it, sealed in. Now, how do I get in there? Put your zipper on, open your zipper, take your razor knife and cut through. And that might be what he did. It was a while ago that I watched this, but that's how I would do it. But with that zipper, it solves the whole door window issue. And it, it, it opens things up where you could conceivably, very, very inexpensively, for the cost of PVC, PVC pipe and uh, the poly, if you had six 4x8 gardens, every year they could be six 4x8 greenhouses. Um, you probably want to build them a little bigger, though, so you don't have to walk on your beds. But you could do it that way. Another thing, if they're raised beds, you could just take a 2x12 and basically give up a foot in the center and lay that across your bed lengthwise where you can walk in there and stand on that instead of standing on your garden soil. And you still are going to grow way more that way. But it opens up a lot of things. It opens up a lot of things. There was uh, one of our listeners from Canada. It might be Brent from uh, Prince Edward Island. But it was somebody up there. I don't think it was Carson. Um, suggested, well, what if you went out and bought one of these metal buildings? You know, these metal frame buildings? And you can get them for like 150 bucks, and you can get a big one for 150 bucks. What if you went out and bought one of those and just didn't use the material that's supposed to go on the outside of it and just drape poly over it? Cool. Well, what if you took some of these tarp zippers and uh, used it to make, you know, your doors and your windows and everything? Uh, even cooler, right? Because now we can completely seal it all up 
and uh, we can get in and out and we can create ventilation. So maybe we even, with that, we might buy really good greenhouse-grade poly and you, you know, build basically a permanent structure. The whole point is to be creative. I want this show to apply to everybody today. So if you have the, you know, backyard, uh, all you got is like your, your, your balcony outside of an apartment. You can do the micro greenhouse. If you have, you know, five acres like I do, you can put a big, big old poly tunnel in there. If you're kind of in, in an urban situation with a little bit of land, you can do whatever fits your taste in your neighborhood. And there's just so much that comes from it. There's also some things that we can do that I believe will make our lives easier and, and give us more joy from our greenhouses. One is creating heat traps. So we had Stephen Harris on yesterday, and he talked about a lot of stuff. And, you know, kind of me just sitting around thinking about it, one of the things I could do very easily is build uh, a solar heater, just a basic solar heater uh, that, that, that he would suggest we put in a window of our house, like a window unit air conditioner. Now, I could build that, and I could set that to go into the bottom of my greenhouse. It's actually sitting up, like, because it's been pushed back by a machine, and I've got some space to work with there. So we could kind of just sit on the outside down low. Now, my plan, I was originally thinking about concrete. I think now I'm just going to put about four or five inches of 2B stone, so gravel, call it that, inside the greenhouse and cover the, the whole floor with that. Well, you know, thinking now, all I really have to do is put a pipe system through there. So take pipes that go basically crisscross and then eventually go out the back or be return back and go out the, you know, back to the bottom side of the solar heater, right? And that'll pump hot air through those rocks all day long. Now when the sun goes down, those rocks are going to provide radiant heat uh, to the greenhouse. And, well, what happens in the summer, man? It'll be baking everything. No, you just take the, the, the solar heater, put it away. So that was one of the ways I thought of, of creating heat traps. There's a lot of easy things to do, though. We, you can just basically put in a whole bunch of black containers full of water inside a greenhouse, and they're going to heat up. They're going to heat up just from the solar gain every day, and they're going to help you get through the nights. They're going to radiate their heat back off. Remember, the thing about a greenhouse is we generally don't have to keep it nice and toasty warm at night. We just have to keep it from going too far below the freezing point. It can even go, most of your plants in a greenhouse protected from the wind, they'll handle 32. They really will. Even the stuff that's tender and, you know, tomato plants and stuff like that. I've seen tomato plants handle below 32 in a greenhouse. Not a lot, but a little bit. Down in like 29-ish. I've seen it happen, if they're, especially if they're sheltered with other plants, right? Instead of just sitting on a table out in the open by themselves. Uh, it, there's, you know, they don't get the condensation in the, in the, in the, in the runoff and you don't want to overwater in those situations. The more hydrated those plants are in a freeze, the more likely their cells are to rupture. That's what actually kills them. Um, but, you know, they can get through that. So if we can keep that greenhouse in the 36, 38 range at the coldest time, we can hold anything nonstop through the winter. And that is really, really awesome. So things like water can help you do that, maybe not 100%. Now, Steve talked about movable insulation, and it was the mind-blowing thing for me yesterday. And I had the book. It's sitting in front of me right now with my glasses sitting on top of it, and I need to take it home and look at it. But the, the concept was basically, if you didn't get yesterday's show, that if we had inside the greenhouse basically a curtain system or a tarp system or that on the outside of the greenhouse 
And once the sun was done for the day, we went out there and pulled it over or dropped it down or did whatever we had to do. So we created an opaque system and a pocket system. So it's not just the, the glass or the plastic to the air. It's the tarp and then the plastic and then the air. Or the, it can go the other way. The plastic and the tarp and then the air will get a much greater uh, hold of the heat throughout the day. I want Steve from Steve's Greenhouses to really look at can he develop a system for his own greenhouses that would basically just be a curtain system where you would drill some holes into the steel, you'd put up some runners, right? And you would attach your curtain and then it would just all collapse to the back of the greenhouse. And then at night you would just come out and run it all the way to the front. I think that's flipping awesome. And I think we could all figure out ways to do things like that with our greenhouses. From a standpoint though now, this is where it gets really interesting. Right? So remember we have the little four foot by four foot greenhouse, mini greenhouse thing that we set over top of our plants? Right? We've got a solid structure there. All we need is a great big quilt or a tarp. And if we add that on a really cold night to our little garden greenhouse, guess what? We've just increased the survivability of the plants in there by tenfold probably. Because it's not seeing the the it's not seeing the northern sky, the winter sky. It's not losing all that heat, and that's simple. That's easy. That you go out, you throw it on there, you throw a couple bricks on it. The next day, you go out, you pull it off, you put it away, and you, on the, you only a lot of you guys in these te temperate climates like me, it does get really cold. It does freeze. You might do that for a week, and you might not have to do it again for three. Um, I'm thinking you might hold peppers in the ground that way. Uh, in Arkansas, Tennessee-ish, I think you might. I don't know. I'm damn well going to try it when I turn the corner and go into winter next year. Um, it would be really amazing to be able to do. And I don't see it as that hard. There's some other things we can do to heat a greenhouse, though. I have this um, water heater that runs on gasoline from Tim at Old Grouch. That was basically the military used them. You get a 32-gallon steel trash can. You put, you put this thing in it, you fill it with water, and you set it, you know, turn it, put some gasoline in it, you turn it on, it starts to go. And it just kind of runs until it runs out of gas. And it'll heat the water to almost boiling. Well, my thought is, simple for this year, if I need some supplemental heat, I'll take that thing, I'll sick that in there, I'll turn it on, it can run for three or four hours, and that water's going to be sitting there at 180 degrees when it's done running, and if that, if I turn that on at seven o'clock at night, It's not going to finish and burn out till around 10, and I'm going to have that 180 degree water that are sitting there releasing its 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 thermal gain into the greenhouse until morning, and I should be able to get things through that normally I wouldn't be able to get through. And I think there's all different types of things, and start thinking about simple stuff like again, we don't have to keep it 72 in there like it is in the house. It's a small greenhouse, a couple hundred watt light bulbs would do some pretty cool stuff. Uh, just filling up a couple milk jugs with hot water out of the sink and sticking them in the little 4x4 one will get you through a lot. Stick it right in the center, surrounded by plants, so those plants can help disperse the heat very, very slowly. There's a lot of things that we can do that are very, very simple. Greenhouses aren't always about large structures. Um, I do want to talk about some great stuff to grow there, where, though, where you can kind of just not really worry about a lot of this. Spinach, kale, uh, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, all your brassias, most of your mustards, um, no collards, no problem. 
That stuff, even in some of the coldest climates, in a well-built greenhouse without movable insulation, without supplemental heating, no problem at all. Green onion, great, great crop for your greenhouse. And here's the beauty. The green onion is a perennial when you do it right. You've set all your bunching onions. You get get yourself like a a long pot deep enough so it'll support the root structure and all. And you plant a whole little grid of green onions in there. You stick them in there. And in like 40 days, you're ready to start harvesting your green onions. You can do this in the middle of summer before you even move them to your greenhouse, right? So now you've got them, and every time you need, you'll say, I need six today. I'm going to make a soup, and I want to put green onion in it. You go pluck six of those little guys out of there, little holes that are there, leave the holes. I'll tell you why in a second. Take them into your house. Cut about the first half inch where the roots are, the green onion off. Put those six little guys to the side. Chop up your green onions. You know, Make sure you wash them good before you chop them up. You're chop dirt into them otherwise. Cook with them. Take those six little pieces of green onion with the roots hanging off of them that you usually throw away or toss to the compost bin or what have you. Take them back outside, stick them in the holes they came out of, put a little bit of dirt back over them and water them in. And a couple days later, you'll go back there and you'll see little green shoots coming up and the damn thing will grow back. And you can do that with the green. If you want to get started, you can go down to the store, buy the green onions in the store. Organic would be the way to go here. Wash them and plant the tips into a pot right now, and they'll start growing back. And they'll grow faster than they'll ever grow from seed for you. Uh, Johnny Max in the little aquaponics tech system, uh, test system he put together, I think he did one green onion like eight times before they did something and screwed up the, the system, and they didn't have to be able to put it back in there anymore. But it'll basically be a never-ending onion. How cool is that? And again, you don't have to buy plants. We don't have to go, um, you know, through seed starting. We can go down to the store, buy some organic green onion, and start right now today with that little project. You could do that in a sunny window in your house this winter if none of this other stuff applies to you uh, because of your situation. So I wanted to throw some something in there that nobody could go, this didn't apply to me. Um, but onions are great, uh, chives. Most of your herbs that we think of as summer herbs will actually do quite well in a greenhouse. Basil is iffy. Um, real, real temperate, cli- uh, real, real mild temperate climates, you, you can probably pull basil through. You can definitely extend fresh basil several weeks, though. That, that's, that's a no, uh, no doubt. Uh, you know, your mints will do fine. Thyme will do fine. Oregano will do wonderfully in a pot in a greenhouse. Arugula. Uh, if it's, if it's a green leaf, it's probably going to work out fairly well with some exceptions. Swiss chard, no problems. I've got Swiss chard that was snowed on yesterday out in the garden, in the hugo culture bed, and it doesn't care. It got snowed on. Right? So how well do you think it's going to do in a greenhouse situation? Spinach, all of that stuff is great to grow. Peas, peas will do great. Uh, a lot of places you guys can grow peas when you don't think you can. Uh, peas will handle anything but except a really hard killing frost. Uh, but that stuff in like 25 and up, uh, most of your sweet peas and, and snap peas and sugar peas, no problem, man. They'll rock right through that. Uh, in a greenhouse, they'll do fabulously. If you got a nice tall greenhouse, how about you go out there and plant a good, uh, winter hardy pea, uh, that, that, that trellises and make a little pea tower somewhere in there and have those fresh snap peas to eat, uh, all through your winter. So those are some great things to grow. Starting plants may be the biggest uh, bang for your buck. I just about guarantee you that you could go to some local nurseries and say, tell me what you're going to have this year for people to buy. 
Give me your varieties and types. And there's a, and, and it's, the, the niche isn't as big as it used to be because people have caught on to this heirloom tomato stuff and there's a lot of stuff that you never used to see at Home Depot or Lowe's and you only saw in the niche nurseries that are at Home Depot and Lowe's and then the niche nurseries have come up. But I guarantee you, you could come up with seven, eight, nine really unique, cool things that you want to grow in your garden and say, if I have surplus plants of these varieties, would you be interested in buying them? And you're probably going to get, uh-huh, yeah. Right? So you can start a buttload of those things and you can sell them into your local economy and get other people growing them. And you can start all your own seeds and that saves you a buttload of money. And seed starting is best done in a greenhouse. You can do it other ways, but it works so well in a, in a good, this is for you guys that can do the large greenhouses. Man, you can start so many seeds. And you can even like go to Clayton Jacobs and get a soil cube and do your seed starting in that. And then the only expense is the soil. That's it. You don't even have the containers. And sell that, you know. You can go to the nursery that you're going to be be selling to and get the little flat plastic trays for free because they throw them away. And you say, I'll just take your trays and I'll bring them in these cubes and you can sell your customers on the self-pruning roots and all of that. For those who don't know what that's about, Clayton Jacobs is not the only guy that's ever made one of these, but he's a good friend of the show. MSB, guys, you get a 20% discount, 25% discount on a soil cube. It's like 20 bucks instead of 25 bucks for one of these tools. And basically what you do is you take your, your garden soil, your potting soil, and it's good to mix a little peat, a little sand in there. And you get a moist, just where it's moist, where when you squeeze it, it sticks together, but it doesn't ring wet. And you take it and you fill these two cubes and you press down. And there's a bolt inside there, at least a little dimple. And you just press cubes and you set them to the side. Press cubes and you keep doing it until you have as many cubes as you, as you need or you run out of dirt, one or the other. Uh, you let them dry for about a day and then they dry into this little hard cube. And then you take your seed and you stick it in that little dimple on the top and you put a little fresh soil there and then you mist it to water it. And it grows and the roots real, real quick spread out into there and it holds together. It doesn't fall apart, trust me. It really doesn't. And once that root system's established, the roots will do what's called self-pruning. When they get to the end, instead of like in a container where they start wrapping around and around and around and around, they just kind of prune themselves. And they just stay in there and you keep them watered. Well, you could take your little trays of those right back to your nursery and use their own trays to sell them your plants. So you could turn it into a profit center. There is a, I guarantee you, if you have lots of gardeners in your neighborhood, Saturday afternoons for three weeks out of the year, you're selling plants in your front yard, you're going to sell as many plants as you can sell. I've talked to greenhouse growers that sell in farmer's markets that have given me numbers like, well, last year we did $2,600 in product sales at farmer's markets of produce and food and stuff like that, and we did you know, $8,000 in plant sales. There's a niche there, and it's a huge, huge niche, and it's as diverse as you can get with seeds, and if you start growing what you're selling in your own gardens and you grow to seed harvest, guess what? Your seeds are free, too, after your first season. So there's a lot of things going on here beyond just, I have a greenhouse so I can grow food in it. There's a business opportunity here. Uh, some of the uh, the things I think that maybe we need to really think about, though, is extending through our summers. And the best way to do that is shade cloth. And uh, there's all different types of shade cloth. You can get it like 60%. You can get it 50%. It's exactly what it sounds like. It blocks roughly 60% shade cloth. Let's 40% of the, uh, of the light through. It provides 60% blockage of light. And it really opens up what we can do in the summer. And a lot of plants that we think of as summer plants... 
that do well in full sun with like a 40% shading, they do amazing. That, that, it, it, because they, if they get it all day long, it's better than being beaten on for 60% of the day. Which in a lot of our climates is what happens. The plant says full sun, so we plant it in what looks like full sun, and it gets up to 110 degrees and it bakes it for like six hours. And the plant's like, I am so sad. And it's just wilting in the heat. And you're out there watering it, trying to keep it alive. And then the sun finally comes off it, and it's like, oh, and you see it perk up. And then the next morning, you know, the sun hits it again and it's baked. Well, that plant would actually do better instead of getting 60% of the sun full bore to get 60% sun all day long. Much better. So shade cloth. And we can also look at some exotic options. I wanted to throw out a few ideas for you here. Um, if I really wanted to make money with this, I would put in the most bad house setup and system of greenhouses that I could find. And I would come up with the most ridiculously exotic things to be, say, come from Arkansas, like vanilla orchid, right? So that's where vanilla beans come from, the vanilla orchid. And I would reach out to every brewery in Arkansas and say, hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we come up with something that will just set your brewery apart? A winter ale with vanilla and honey, and we'll go find you somebody, and maybe I can do my own honey, and that's probably not. We'll go find a great local provider of honey, and let's do a winter ale from Arkansas with Arkansas-grown organic vanilla bean and Arkansas-grown organic honey. And you know what that brewer master's going to say? Can you do it? Because if you can do it, I'm going to brew it. Because that's going to sell. That's going to be a premium, world-class beer for that brewery. See, so what can you do with a greenhouse that people say you can't do? What if you set up a whole system like that and the additional thing that you were growing in there was coffee, right? Coffee and vanilla. Well, we'd go back to the brewer and do a coffee stout with Arkansas coffee. Can't grow coffee in Arkansas. He's doing it, and we can do it. And if we're growing exotic crops that are expensive when they come from uh, exotic lands overseas, like Madagascar for the vanilla but we can grow it locally. We put a premium on a crop that's already expensive. Now we can afford supplemental heating beyond just the passive solar gain, can't we? So I think that done right, there's tremendous opportunity with greenhouses. Uh, there's an article in, in this month's Permaculture Magazine, the one that comes out of the UK, and it's this place where their, their greenhouses are almost an acre each. They have like multiple one-acre glass houses. And they farm year-round in the glasshouses. They have trees growing, canopy systems, frog ponds in the glasshouses. That's the industrial scale. And these aren't high-poly tunnels like we do tomatoes in here. No. These are glass, one-acre steel and glass structures. And they're amazing. I'll see if that article's online. Sometimes their articles are online, sometimes they're not. But I'll show you that. So from the smallest thing... A four foot by four foot box or a little cold frame in the ground to a one acre glass house. When you hear greenhouse, that's what you should think of. And then Paul Wheaton with his article or post about the greenhouse suck factor, he can suck it. I love Paul, he's a great guy, but the greenhouse is one of the greatest things that we can do for ourselves for self-sufficiency and self-reliance because it enables us to feed ourselves and it can power economic models as well. And there's almost no reason not to do it. There's no reason not to experiment with it. There's no reason not to learn from it. 
Um, I'm telling you, if we had a guy in Tennessee with clover honey and vanilla selling to a brewery, he could make an awful lot of money on a relatively small scale uh, of work and space. It would be kind of cool. I'm just saying, there's other things we could do that with. I'm just giving you a couple ideas today. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, and we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Revolution is